This call is being recorded. Hello, and welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays, hosted by the Bard MBA in Sustainability. My name is Stephanie Milbergs, and I'm Assistant Director of the Bard MBA program. We are thrilled to have two special guests from the Schumacher Center for a New Economics on our show today Susan Witt, Executive Director, and Alice Maggio, Local Currency Program Director. Before turning over the mic to Bard MBA students, Amy Califa and Justine Porter, I want to provide some background about the Bard MBA in sustainability. We are one of a few programs globally that fully integrate sustainability into our curriculum from the ground up. We are a low residency program where part of our courses are taught online and the other portion are taught over long weekend residencies in New York City. We are a deeply experiential program with first year students partaking in a course called NYC Lab, where they work on real-world sustainability challenges for clients. This year, our clients are Siemens Wind Power, JetBlue, and the New York State Department of Agriculture and Markets. Thank you all for joining us today. Please do mute your phones and headsets at this time to reduce the chance of feedback during this call. I will now turn over the floor to Amy, who will introduce our guests. Welcome to all of you. Thanks, Stephanie, and welcome everybody to today's podcast with Susan Witt and Alice Maggio. My co-interviewer, Justine Porter, has lost her voice, so I'll be doing the talking for both of us today. Um, First of all, Susan Witt is the Executive Director of the Schumacher Center for a New Economics. Susan co-founded the predecessor of the Schumacher Center, the E.F. Schumacher Society, in 1980. And she's led the development of the Schumacher Center's highly regarded lecture, publication, conference, seminar, and library programs that have established the Schumacher Center as a pioneering voice for a new economy shaped by social and ecological principles. Over the past 34 years, the Schumacher Center has built strong collaborations with other organizations and created several initiatives that are making deep impact on a local level and broadly influencing a much larger audience. And Alice Maggio is the Schumacher Center's local currency program director. So Alice grew up in Berkshire County, Massachusetts, and her work there locally with the Schumacher Center has led her to become a national and international advocate for nonprofit place-based currencies. Alice is especially engaged with the Berkshire region's own local currency, Berkshires, which she will tell us about today. So welcome to both Alice and Susan. Thank you. I'd like to start today's discussion by asking each of you if you would tell us a bit about your personal journeys, um, how you got started on the path of visioning a new social and place-based economic system, and a bit of the history that's brought you each to where you are today. So who would like to start us off? I'll start. I'm Alice, and um, I grew up in the Berkshires, as you said, and went away to college at Uh, Wesleyan University and was really interested in local food, uh, having grown up with sheep in my backyard um, and in a place where we have a lot of great local food. And I got to college and had to eat dining room, dining hall food and wasn't so (laughs) excited about that. And I realized what I, what I had where I grew up. So I became interested in local food systems um, and then was a little bit frustrated when I was trying to find a job kind of that would fit into that interest. Um, and when I found an internship for uh, Berkshire, Berkshire's right here, about two miles away from where I grew up, um, I just kind of read the description and said, wait, that fits 
what I'm interested in. And I had never really known anything about Berkshires except that I had one in my wallet and I showed it to everybody when I went around the around Europe. Um, and so then I started working as the Berkshires intern and I realized that it's not just about local food systems, that if we're going to have local food systems that are strong, we actually have to have local economies around them that are strong. So that's kind of what got me going and that's why I was interested in Berkshires and that's why I'm still here. That's awesome, Alice. So how long have you been with um, the Schumacher Center now? Um, three and a half years. Great. And so, Susan, your journey has been a bit longer than Alice's. Um, maybe you could tell us about, like, what motivated you to found the Schumacher Society um, way back in 1980 and, um, you know, where how it's developed until today. Uh, Bob Swan and I were working in Cambridge uh, advocating for community land trusts, launching the first social investment fund in this country called uh, Community Investment Fund, the first one with positive criteria until that time, which was 78, there were a number of funds with negative screens. So no to investment in South Africa, no to arms, no to alcohol, no to tobacco, but not yes, yes to co-ops, yes to new appropriate technologies, yes to small place-based businesses. So we were advocating for uh, such change economic forms, uh, but not living it ourselves. And we were seeking a place where we could put both theory and practice together and were invited to the Berkshires to help form uh, the community mantras in the Southern Berkshires. That was 1980. The same year, uh, the Schumacher Society in England asked us to form a comparable society in the U.S. Bob had been a personal friend of Fritz Schumacher and uh, had sponsored his famous 1974 trip to this country. Schumacher then asked him to form an organization, and he wasn't ready. But now in 1980, we took up the formation of the Schumacher Society, now Schumacher Center for New Economics. So, Susan, I'm just thinking, since, I, you know, I, I've been a fan of the book Small is Beautiful uh, since it came out in the 70s, but probably some people in our audience are not quite as old as I am and might be wondering um, a little bit about who, who E.F. Schumacher was, and maybe you could give us a little bit of um, his, you know, his history and background on that. Certainly. Uh, Fritz Schumacher was uh, an economist 
German-born, moved to England, where he became the chief economist for the uh, British Coal Board. And he was rather a conventional economist. And he was asked to go to Burma to do some consulting. And at the time, he read these um, statistics, economic statistics about Burma, um, and found uh, extremely low average income, extremely low gross national product, and assumed he would be meeting some of the poorest and most unhappy people in that he had ever come across. Instead, he found a vibrant people who were uh, doing a lot of economic exchanges within their own local economies. But the type of exchanges that never got into national statistics, a reliant, a self-reliant people, and innovative and creative people who uh, found solutions on the ground. So he had to rethink his whole economic theory and came up uh, with the series of essays that made up the book Small is Beautiful Economics as If People Mattered. The basic thesis of that book is that the soundest economic system is one in which the goods consumed in a region are by and large produced in a region. There would be more uh, visibility to the production method. Consumers could see how the items they were using were actually made, how it impacted the natural world, how the production uh, methods treated the workers, how the profits were distributed or recirculated in the region. It would be a production system without the high cost um, environmental cost of transporting over large distances. So perhaps his most famous essay on this is Buddhist economics. And um, he speaks about, uh, he visions an economic system where both are relations with each other, consumer and producer, contain more dignity and respect, and how our care of the land, um, again, has more care and responsibility. So this forms the basis of our work. We weren't looking for government solutions to economic problems, but we were looking for how citizens could actually um, 
affect and shape their own local economies. That's been the core of our work since our founding. And, and you've been translating that thesis to the local economy um, in Berkshire County, Massachusetts, specifically, and it's become a model for, for many other places. So I wanted to ask you both um, about some of the Schumacher initiatives, um, I guess probably the first and most famous of which are Berkshire's. So um, maybe, Alice, you can tell us what Berkshire's are and what is the strategy behind this initiative? So Berkshire's are our local currency in the Berkshire region, and mm -hmm. that means it's a, we have a paper currency that can only be spent in this area at the businesses that participate. And there are three banks that um, also participate in the program where you can go and buy Berkshire's um, at a rate of 95 cents per Berkshire. Then you take your Berkshire's, you go and spend them at any of the 400 participating businesses. And then the idea is that they'll keep going between all of our great locally owned businesses. And those businesses that take Berkshire's are really the, the locally owned businesses that are interested in staying here in the Berkshire's and making this a more um, wealthy and, and um, happy and sustainable economy. And um, then they can take them back to the bank or they can keep spending them. So the incentive is to keep spending them because if they take them back to the bank, they will get 90, 95 cents on that Berkshire. Um, and so we were founded, we launched Berkshires in 2006 um, with a coalition of businesses um, and banks and citizens and we've been working since then um, to build them as a, as a tool for regional economic development. So I'm thinking as a tourist, and you guys do get quite a lot of tourists up there seasonally in the Berkshires. Is, is there, um, in the Berkshires, I said Berkshires, is there an incentive for somebody who's just passing through to purchase Berkshires and then spend them locally? Do you find that, that it's working that way as well? Oh, yeah, it is partially um, because of that, the um, exchange rate of 95 cents per Berkshire. So you actually get more bang for your buck if you change your money into Berkshires. But it's also because the Berkshires are really beautiful currency, and they're designed by um, a designer named John Isaacs, and they have local heroes on the front, um, including Herman Melville, Norman Rockwell, um, W.E.B. Du Bois, and then they have local artwork on the back by living local artists. And um, they also include elements of um, our landscape. Um, they include our values, that, the things that we care about here in the Berkshires. And so they have a lot of resonance, and um, people like to hold them and look at them. So um, they're really attractive, and they make you, when you do use them, they kind of make you think about where you're spending your money, and they, they also make you think about the place, and um, they help to bolster our regional identity. So had this been done before? Like, what, what gave you guys the idea of doing a local currency? Was there a model for it, or is it something that you kind of came up with? Well, uh, fundamental to our thinking of our economic work is the following. 
Um, at the core of an economic system, what it is is human ingenuity, organizing human labor to transform the natural world into new products to exchange with each other, right? So human ingenuity, organizing human labor to transform the natural world into new products for exchange with each other. That's a rather uh, wonderful vision of what an economic system can be. It's generous. It's um, uh, noble. Um, it's filled with regard for each other and the natural world. But in practice, um, the economic system looks quite different. So we're trying to ma imagine what are the blocks that stop the economic system for, from moving to that vision. And um, one of the uh, problems is the current way uh, the money is issued at a national level rather than as a local democratically structured tool for visualizing and encouraging local economies. So we knew from the beginning that part of our work would be to um, look at a democratic decentralized monetary issue. The other would be um, to rethink our whole land tenure system and land ownership system, our commons. Um, how do we have access to it? Currently, it's through a market system. How could we transform that system into one um, that treated access to the land based on social contract and not just on market forces. So those um, land reform, monetary reform, were two key aspects of our work from our founding. Berkshire's is the actuality of that. I, I think it's just fascinating even to contemplate, you know, currency, which was, I guess, started off as something very tangible with barter systems and then has gotten more and more abstract. So you guys have taken at least one level of abstraction out of that process of economic development. And um, something that you mentioned to me um, in an earlier conversation is that you have a goal of unpegging the Berkshire from the dollar, and um, I'm just wondering what this means and, and what are the implications of that? Well, you asked earlier about um, if this had been done before and if it was based on any other model. And um, basically, 
when we're looking for a monetary a system of monetary issue that's more regional and more democratic and more close to home so that we can actually have um, control over it at a local level what we we found was that we actually had this system there existed in this country a system like this already and um, there used to be a division between commercial banks and savings and loans banks. And um, the commercial banks actually used to issue their own banknotes um, based on the principles, largely on the principles that we would like to see now. Um, they would issue currency for local production. So the banker who was deciding whether to issue a loan would actually be de deciding when to issue new money. So the banker or the bankers would look at their local markets, the local resources, and look at the entrepreneur that was applying for that loan and make decisions based on their local knowledge. Was that product that the entrepreneur wanted to make going to actually succeed? Was there a market for it? Was it using respons responsibly using natural resources? Um, and then they would make the decision whether to make, make that loan. And they would basically be creating new money at that point. So they would issue bank notes from that bank that represented the future production of that entrepreneur. So that's the system that we are aspiring to now. We'd like to have a currency that's issued at a local level, a regional level, that represents real production in our local, in our local markets. So that's, that's what we're working towards. Right now, Berkshires are um, a, basically, they're a bi-local program um, that raises awareness about the importance of our locally owned businesses, helps people realize where they're spending their money, um, and gets people engaged and, and interested in, in our region. Um, but eventually, we would like to actually have the Berkshires be more tied to the actual production in the Berkshire region. And would it be possible to actually go back to uh, like a banking system? Would that be legal to like issue that currency um, as you described it used to be from something like a savings and loan? And are there banks on board with you right now? Well, that? we actually. So the great thing about Berkshire's and one of the main strengths of the of the program is that we have three banks that work with us, and they're all community banks, um, and they. First of all, they're on board because they have a little bit of that history in them still. Um, they realize the importance of locally owned businesses. Um, their, whole, their clients are locally owned businesses. And um, they have a little bit of memory of how that system used to work. Um, so they're our great partners. Um, well, for example, um, the paper that Berkshire's is um, is printed on is made by Crane and Company, and um, Crane and Company is the the paper maker for U.S. currency. They their first piece of currency paper that they produced was for Berkshire Bank in 1802, I think, and um, they were making paper for a bank that was issuing bank notes for local production. We think. <laughs> Um, so, I think I forgot your original question. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really fascinating that it's come full circle that way, too, in terms of the actual printers. But, well, so yeah. part of my question was just kind of... Whether it's allowed. Like, 
whether it would be permitted, I mean, because my understanding is, you know, the Fed is the one that has to, you know, give permission to issue new currency. Um, could there be sort of a local version of that? Well, from our understanding, um, it's actually not illegal in this country to issue independent currencies like Berkshires. And it wouldn't be illegal to issue currency that is representing local production, as long as it doesn't look like the Federal Reserve note, uh, and as long as it's not the same size, as long as it's not pretending to be the Federal Reserve note, there shouldn't be a problem. And that comes from that long history of these independent currencies. So um, we had these paper independent currencies throughout um, the 1800s into the 1900s, and um, that means that it wasn't illegal then, and nobody's made a law so far to make it illegal now. So we're really lucky in the U.S. because we have that um, that uh, freedom still. And some in Europe, there's not as much flexibility because they say the only issuer is the European Central Bank. And here, uh, that's not true. So we actually have this history and um, kind of still the freedom to do uh, to have more independence. But again, I think an important aspect of this work is that it's citizen-driven. It, it, um, you want to have a, a local currency that requires a group of engaged citizens creating the circumstances to actually issue that currency. If you want to have local production that depends on local citizens actually creating the conditions that favor small-scale, small-batch local production. So perhaps the best example of this is from our own experience here in the Berkshires being uh, the community-supported agriculture model. Indian Line Farm, which is just down the street from us, was the first farm in this country to uh, come up with uh, this model and employ it. And it basically it's citizens agreeing to share the risk of the operating costs with the farmers. Um, but the question then remains, what are other things that citizens can do banding together to support their local economy. Creating markets is one thing. Creating a vehicle of exchange that identifies and supports local businesses like Berkshire's is another vehicle. Um, creating low-cost access to sites is another possibility. Um, creating uh, mentors, as Alice is doing with the Entry to Entrepreneurship Program, is another vehicle. And it sounds like you've kind of tied a number of those concepts together in what you're calling community-supported industry. So I think this is a good moment for you guys to explain a little bit about what that idea is and, and how it came about. So as Susan was saying, 
um, if we do want to see more local production, and, and there's obviously a huge amount of interest in local production, local food, handmade goods, there's a huge interest now all around the country, but it will take some, some work from all of us if we want to see that actually happen on a larger scale and be successful. And so we're calling our initiative here community-supported industry, and that's a takeoff on the community-supported agriculture idea because community-supported agriculture has this really great um, kind of holistic view of that. How can the consumer or the citizen buy into a business in multiple ways and make that business succeed in multiple ways? They want to see that local food production, so they actually make it happen by putting their money into the business ahead of time, sharing the risk um, that the farmer burden is burdened with usually, um, because if the if the crop doesn't actually come through, the crop of tomatoes doesn't come through, then you don't get any. Um, and also going out and saying, hey, I buy from Indian Line Farm, you should buy from Indian Line Farm too. So there's all of those different elements that um, are embodied in the CSA movement, and um, we want to take that that whole model and expand upon it and find ways that, that those different elements can apply in different industries or different, um, in different products, basically. Um, and so we have different elements going here, and um, Berkshires is going to be a tool to make that happen, to help citizens buy into the businesses they want to buy into. The Community Land Trust in the Southern Berkshires here is another tool that's already here and waiting. It's a tool that citizens can grab a hold of and actually purchase land to make it available to local producers or Main Street businesses if they want to. Um, and we're also, we're also experimenting with other um, elements. So if we're going to have um, young entrepreneurs coming up and taking over um, the great Main Street businesses that we have in Great Barrington, for example, um, we're going to have to train those entrepreneurs and help them if we're going to have new entrepreneurs coming in and coming up with new products, new businesses, we're going to have to train those young people and help them um, get going. So we've started a business planning course called Entry to Entrepreneurship, which is kind of like a crowdsourced business planning uh, course. Um, there, are, there are business people from our community who have stepped up to volunteer their time to teach lessons, mentor students. Um, it's a... you. It's a free program where you actually win 200 Berkshires at the end, and it's open to 14 to 25-year-olds. So it's a group of people that don't usually get um, access to business planning help or don't necessarily think of themselves as entrepreneurs always. Um, and it's making that, that education and those connections um, available to young people. Um, and we've also started a survey as another element because if we we're, we're going to need entrepreneurs, but we'll also need good ideas. And there are people throughout our community who um, might have businesses but can't start another business. They might have another great idea, but they're not going to do it because they already are, have their hands full. Um, we have consumers, housewives, house dads, um, uh, teachers, people who buy things, and they might say. I want to buy this from a local producer. Um, so there are lots of great ideas out there and lots of demand. How do we organize that and show that there's markets for new local products? So we've started um, an import replacement survey 
where we're asking businesses what they're buying and where they're buying it from and how much they're spending so that we can start to get some ideas about what products could turn into businesses here in the Berkshires. Um, so that's, those are just a bunch of different um, projects and elements that we'll all have to come together and we'll all have to have uh, people jumping in to help out if it's going to actually work. And we learned a lot about this from reading the extraordinary Jane Jacobs, who's best known for death and life of great American cities, but we turn more to her economic treatise, which is Cities and the Wealth of Nations, where she calls for a, a diversity of production in all regions. She um, witnesses how national economies and national currencies tend to uh, suck resources out of our rural areas into a single big urban areas. And she would rather like to see that diversity of production region by region. And she calls for this concept of looking at what are you're importing to a region and imagining how those products could be created locally using local resources, local labor. She um, gets excited about exuberant episodes of import replacement. She looks at economic systems not as dry statistics, but as living, changing, moving, and um, uh, wants to or encourage the creation of conditions that bring people out on the street, talking to each other, interacting face-to-face, small-town shop owner with citizen consumers, discussing face-to-face what still is needed in that local economy and dreaming together, visioning together about what it can be. Berkshire's is a paper currency. That means that transactions are face-to-face. It encourages conversation. That's probably one of its most important element. It's the element of local economic knowledge that's being raised there. And I mean, this is all like really exciting, and I love the phrase exuberant episodes of import replacements. And if one travels in, in the Berkshires, you, you see a lot of local, small, artisanal businesses. I'm wondering if you have any um, a- any initiatives that have like landed concretely on the ground yet, or is this like all brand new kind of thinking that you're starting right now, or do you have examples that you can point to? Well, we can have we have examples of things that we would like to see, things that you know might be on the cusp, or um, we might have 
some young people interested in them. Um, we often we often talk about how we have a lot of timber in this area that's being harvested and it actually gets shipped to Canada. And then maybe it gets shipped right back to us once it's been processed so we can build houses. Or, um, and that seems like a shame because we could capture that that extra production right here in the Berkshires if we had some appropriate scale sawmills. Um, so we have furniture makers here. We have some uh, lumberjacks, <laughs> but we have the where there's a missing piece in the middle. We have builders as well, and so um, maybe it will take some community effort to actually figure out how to put a sawmill here. It might be finding out what the right size is, how much can we actually put through in a year, or do we need two, do we need four, do we need one? Um, so that's one example. Um, another is a slaughterhouse. We have um, great land for sheep and, um, and for cows and for pigs, and we don't have any slaughterhouse that's, more, that's nearby. The nearest one to us right now is an hour away. Um, and that's a huge amount of time that farmers have to put in driving to the slaughterhouse and driving back. So how could we figure out a way to have an appropriate size slaughterhouse for our region? Um, and is there enough demand for that? Or wool processing. Again, uh, there is a small uh, sheep industry here, but most of the wool is sent out of the area for processing. How can we process it locally? What's a Berkshire um, fabric out of wool? Um, what are clothing uh, items that we could make with the Berkshire stamp? What about applesauce? We have hillsides, uh, north slopes that could be planted out with apples. Our largest um, industry in the area is actually healthcare. Um, our largest employer is um, the Berkshire Health System. Uh, they own nursing homes, hospitals, uh, rehabilitation centers. And I remember being in the hospital when Bob Swan was going through a long illness and watching a nurse come in four times a day to twist off the top of a small jar of applesauce to spoon, give him a spoonful of applesauce to make the pills more easy to take. Wonder if Berkshire Health Systems today said, five years from now, we will buy all of our applesauce from a local producer. That would be bankable. It would mean farmers could plant out hillsides uh, within orchards. It would mean a co-op could um, undertake a canning facility. So this is the kind of citizen organizing that needs to occur if we're going to ensure, um, as you point out, not just um, a scattered group, unintentional group of small
small businesses, but really a concentrated effort to do more of our production in our own region. It's work. There's no way around it. It's citizens' work. It's not, won't be solved by government mandates. And I think there is a movement underfoot um, to, to focus on exactly these kinds of, you know, slightly more scaled local projects. Um, I, I know Justine, who unfortunately can't can't talk today, but who wanted to ask some questions. She's working on community development in um, Poughkeepsie, New York, which is not that far from you all. And um, is she's focusing some of her work on looking at some of the large anchor institutions like hospitals and um, colleges and universities and, and seeing what service needs they have, and your applesauce is a great example, and then um, developing local businesses to um, come in and serve those needs. And, and, you know, and um, there was a model that we learned about in Cleveland that's doing something similar. And I think one of the underlying factors is something that you had mentioned, and I'd like to maybe focus on that a little bit more, is the, your concept of land reform and the idea of valuing the commons and um, finding a way to get the community engaged in um, looking at affordable housing or you know ownership rights and responsibilities and being able to use common property to get some of these businesses going. Um, I know in, in Justine's case, they've uh, there's a community effort that's um, taken on, uh, it was a former underwear factory, and they're using that as a hub to develop some of these local businesses. H have you looked into the, um, you know, the whole, I mean, I know you've looked into the whole issue of land reform, but what are, what are your concepts for that? Well, Indian Line Farm, again, creates a model. In uh, Indian Line Farm, the uh, was started as a CSA by Robin Van Enn in 1986. In 1997, Robin tragically died of an asthma attack. Uh, she didn't get to the hospital in time. That meant her Applied 
conditions, conditions of um, organic agriculture, conditions of minimum crop production for local markets. That enabled those two young farmers to get started in um, in the business of farming. They've now paid off their mortgage and have um, and are raising their children and are in um, into this work for over going on 20 years. So it's an extraordinary example of how citizens took the burden of the land debt. The same could be done not just for farms, not just for workforce housing, but also for our main streets. We see our main streets are getting bought up by um, uh, branches of big corporations. How instead can we keep those main streets affordable for the small, diverse businesses that create the excitement and the vitality in the town, that create these um, people-to-people conversations, that create the opportunity for um, exuberant episodes of import replacement. It could be done in the same way, where citizens, as buildings come up for sale, citizens through a community land trust donate the money to purchase the land value and then lease that land to the small businesses who might be able to afford the buildings themselves, just not the um, the cost of the land. Or um, our new canning facility, our new slaughterhouse, where will it be located? Uh, again, if citizens could be the ones to actually identify the sites, purchase the land value, hold it in a community mantras in the commons, and then lease it with a specific purpose. That means the citizens are again shaping land use, shaping the character of their communities over and above what zoning can do. I think it, I, yeah, I think there's so much opportunity there, and I, I I hope we'll start seeing more and more examples of of this kind of land use. And I, um, clearly, in the Berkshires, it's a it's a great example of the farm. It's making me think of lots of other projects. Um, our hour is going by very fast. I have more questions for you, but I want to um, be able to open this up to questions from listeners too. So Stephanie, if you want to see if there are any listeners who have questions, let's give them that opportunity. Thanks, Amy. Yes, I, this this is a really fascinating conversation. So thank you all um, for leading this. This is this is just really informative for me. And now I'm like even googling all about local currencies in my area, trying to figure more out. And um, so, uh, is there anyone on the line who um, has a question for either Susan or Alice or both of them at this time? Because we're actually fast approaching one p.m.
last call for questions. I know, Amy, you have some more, so I don't want to, you know, stop you from asking all those. Okay, well, I'll keep going, and if anybody has any burning questions, just jump in when you can. But um, one of my questions, just because this all sounds so, like, in- incredibly possible in a in a small kind of regional sense, but how do you, you know, where does the idea of scale fit in? So, in other words, if a, a like the local businesses will obviously make the local economy more resilient, but then if your local businesses start to succeed, for example, whether it's a furniture maker, a, a lumber yard, or a wool processor, um, what will the impact be on other local economies? Like, will it be taking away from another local economy? How do you envision that? So, um, what Schumacher called for, what James Jacobs called for, is that every region be, have this aspiration of producing locally for local consumption. So, the concept would be um, to produce in smaller batches, right, with a pro, uh, technology appropriate to the scale of the production, more labor-intensive production, so creating more jobs and presumably, therefore, also creating more wealth in the region, circulating in the region. So we're looking at smaller scale regional production. I'm thinking of someone like Judy Wicks, um, who started the White Dog Cafe in uh, Philadelphia. She's the board member of the Schumacher Center. And when she started to grow, she grew laterally. I mean, she realized that she needed um, farmers in her region in order to produce the quantities of meats and vegetables she needed for the restaurants that were high quality. So she began supporting other farmers. She realized that those farmers would thrive more if other restaurants in the region were also buying from them. So she shared her sources with what might be considered her competitors, and they became her allies, her allies in building the local Philadelphia um, economy. Um, And then she was encouraged to franchise, and she said, do you know I can't franchise the white dog is peculiar to my neighborhood, peculiar to my style, my interest. I can't franchise. I can only offer the example so that businesses in other regions, restaurateurs in other regions, can apply these same principles to their work and build their own place. So what she says is that she went to grow deeper instead of growing bigger, and she wanted to create more relationships in her own 
business and her own community. And there's another example from Ann Arbor called Zingerman's Deli, and they had a really successful deli, and they were asked or they were encouraged to, to franchise, and they said, wait a second, we don't want to franchise and hop all over the place. How about we look at what we're buying and we say from other places, and instead we start another business that makes that instead. So they created a whole system of businesses that are Zingerman's, um, but they're owned by workers, um, and they actually produce for the Zingerman's Deli. And so they created like a constellation of Zingerman's that do different things, um, bakery, uh, um, ice cream makers, all different things. Um, and I think that speaks to um, kind of an attitude of the entrepreneur and the education of the entrepreneur and um, the values that go into that business. So if the value is to have a successful local business that is really integrated and producing wealth for its local community, then that's what the entrepreneur is going to want to do, and they're going to want to go deeper and not franchise or um, get bigger necessarily or like huge and outside of its own region. So that's sort of where the education part comes in. Um, We're informed uh also, by the example of Mondragon in the Basque region of Spain, uh, Mondragon started as uh, uh, one worker-owned business, and then out of that grew a training program, an educational program that would train new workers, new young people for that business. Out of that grew new businesses um, or related business to the initial business. And then um, uh, there needed to be associated businesses, like a bank, a bank that fit the worker-owned objectives, uh, like consumer cooperatives that supported and um, mirrored uh, the worker-owned businesses that were there, like um, uh, community cultural cooperatives in Basque language and Basque dance. So a whole network of businesses and cultural initiatives and healthcare initiatives grew to surround that and uh, strengthen the um, original business that was there. So that now kind of what's key in uh, the whole Mondragon effort, the bank itself is playing a research and development role to think through um, new uh, businesses that would fit in with what's already there, fit in with the skills of the region. So it's a real cool idea that, I mean, it's it kind of, I liked how you said it, Alice, of a constellation. It's almost a, a community supported vertical integration so that it's, it, like you said, it's going deeper. 
and um, that it is an education process. And I, I know we only have another minute or two, but I don't want to lose the opportunity for you to share with us um, your, you know, your educational initiative and what that looks like. And I know it's brand new. So if you could just spend the last minute or two telling us a bit about that, I think it would be a great way to end our conversation. Well, we've had um, over the years, as you've, as you've heard, we've worked on different things such as the local currency and the community support, uh, the community land trust. Um, and people often come to us to learn about just one or the other or, or our library program, our lectures. And at this point, we feel like it's, it's appropriate and it's needed to integrate all of that, all of the experiments we've done, all of the learning we've done, all of the resources we've collected into one program so that people can come and learn to be new economists rather than just learn about individual projects or programs. Um, so this coming year, in September of 2016, we're launching um, Schumacher College for New Economists, which will be um, a program that um, gives background both in the theory and in the practice of creating new economic models that will be more um, just and create more just and resilient local economies. and um, and my colleague Sam Wilsey is running that program, and there's a lot more information on our website. Um, but it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a nine-month program where the students come. It'll be a small class. About 25 students will come and spend two months here at the Schumacher Center um, and get a real foundation in the history and the theory of new economics, and then spend the rest of the time on the road visiting all of the coolest programs and organizations around the country and even overseas um, that are experimenting and doing really excellent work in this area. Um, so you can find out more on our website, which is centerfornewaconomics.org. Um, and we're excited. We're accepting applications now. Yeah, it's so cool to be able to really learn at the feet of some, you know, some of the people that you've described, like somebody like Judy Wicks or Mondragon or the people who are, you know, putting these ideas into practice. It sounds like a great opportunity. Um, just real quick follow up: are, are, Who are your ideal students? Would they be pre-college, post-college, post-graduate? What 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 are you looking for in terms of a makeup of that student body? Post-college, uh, we realize in order to take nine months out of their lives, it's probably not someone who yet has the family or yet is in a career path. So um, most likely graduated from college, but is connected with a particular community of place. So instead of coming to us to gather more knowledge for themselves, the ideal candidate is someone who comes representing a particular place and has the intention of returning that to that community to share what um, they've experienced over the years. That sounds like a really great opportunity for a, a lot of people um, who aren't quite sure what they want to do yet and for entrepreneurs. And which really brings me to my very final question for you, which is um, 
for those of us who are in the MBA and sustainability program at Bard, um, where do you see the greatest opportunity for somebody with the skills of an MBA but who's very focused on sustainability and, and building these healthy local economies? Um, where would what direction would you point us in? Their hometown, <laughs> or to their place to then look for opportunities, things that just are missing. One of our favorite people is Wes Jackson, who started the Land Institute in Kansas, and he's partnering with the Berry Center in Kentucky to do a training in homecoming. So what are the skills needed to come back and live well in your own place? Uh, partly what we're doing is augmenting that. So we're talking about the community-based tools, community-based economic tools for homecoming, for coming back and uh, digging in and uh, applying putting your theories of a better world, a better future for more people, for the earth itself, into practice. Wow. Well, I, I, I'm trying to do that in my community, and you guys are a real, real inspiration for me. So I thank you so much um, for sharing all this knowledge about local currencies, um, community-supported industry, and, and land reform with us on this podcast today. I wish I could continue the, the conversation, but um, our hour is up, so I want to thank you both, and I'm going to turn it back to Stephanie. Yes, thank you so much, Amy, and thank you so much, Susan and Alice, uh, for today's conversation. I'm also really inspired, and with my recent move down to D.C., I'm, I'm really thrilled to kind of really dive into what's going on here. So I'm sure um, others on the call as well are inspired to take change right now in their community. Um, so thank you. And I know we could go on for another hour, but unfortunately our time is up. So I wanted to tell everyone on the line that our next Sustainable Business Fridays episode will be in the year. We'll kick off 2016 with a conversation with Tom Saisky, who's the CEO of TerraCycle. So thank you all for being part of today's conversation and a big thank you to Susan, Alice, Amy, and Justine. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.